We agree that there are basic norms of behavior for states, undergirded by certain values which we have tried to see as universal. But having said that, within the same notion of universal values, there is also an understanding that differences can occur in terms of how we proceed, in terms of who we express ourselves. That is the whole notion of diversity. Now, the problem is, is the task for all of us as diplomats, as scholars, as leaders, where the universal or the general ends and where the particular begins. And that negotiation, I think, is still ongoing. The problem is that where there are different interpretations of a particular norm or a particular right. And one country or a group of countries begin to talk in terms of the only approach is their approach. That becomes a problem because you therefore derogate from the importance of that forum of respect even where you think somebody is wrong, there's a way you talk to the person or to the country. I'm not talking of persons now, I'm talking of entities who are governments with respect to show why it is important for them to see it in the way you are looking at it. The kind of terms or language used has not at times shown respect. Now, let me also say that this is not something that came only from reflections of what happened during the, the last General Assembly it is long in reflection that the universal values and the universal declaration, for example, of rights, for example, and several covenants are extremely important and we should continue to urge countries to see them as such. But to begin to talk as if there is one approach only, then has gotten us at times into really difficult, difficult questions. So this is really what I wanted to say, that one let us respect that we have certain values which you have come to agree as universal, but within those there is also the element of diversity that must be understood, without which a forum intergovernmental such as the United Nations cannot function if, especially where some people are not at a particular stage of understanding certain things, you insist that they have to see it in a particular way. This is the issue. You also speak about the fear of isolationism, but do you think that, that in certain parts of the African continent or even of, of the world that this has already taken place, that this has already gripped a particular country or region? I think our own children know, perhaps better than we do, that the world is connected in very fundamental ways. We should lead them into showing the value of that connectedness and not in fear of other people, but in expression of humanity in different places, and to embrace that difference without any fear. And it is that interconnectedness which we think any country, and I'm not talking of any particular country, that seeks to talk as if there is a way to progress through withdrawal from the common work of all of us, I think is not healthy. What we should do is to draw attention for all of us to appreciate they need to work harder to solve even difficult questions, especially difficult questions, 
that will continue to privilege our common humanity. When you're talking about isolationism, and uh, I mean, if we could even speak about Nigeria right now, President Buhari, since August, has closed the borders, the land borders, because he was talking about how there was issues with with uh, rice smuggling, and which has penalized the other countries, including Ghana, but also Benin, Burkina Faso, Niger, Chad, who are not allowed to use their um, their ports be- because of this uh, edict, which he's now put until the end of January. I mean, this is also one form of isolationism, isn't it? Not really. L- let me just clarify this. I'm not talking as a Nigerian. Uh, in this regard, I'm talking as President of the General Assembly. But because I know a bit about Nigeria, I can also just make a comment since you want a comment on this. My understanding is that the president of Nigeria, in the context of the war against corruption and the idea people do not pay taxes or they steal money or bring in goods that are harmful, repeatedly, and this is not the first time, had insisted that there had to be a framework where goods that come into Nigeria are properly leveled. And if they are supposed to pay duty, they should pay duty. If they are supposed to come in a particular way, they should come in that way. And it will be difficult for Nigeria, as Nigeria, as I understand it, to even do something harmful against West Africa because it's a key member of the ECOWAS. In this particular instance, there is a policy of production of rice in Nigeria. Rice is produced, but it will not be sold because goods are coming through particular non-sanctioned borders. And that has become a big problem. Forget even about the fact of the condition around which it has been said some of the product I think has been said to be in in terms of health. So that is my understanding. And then the idea is not a closure, is for a framework to be established with the neighboring states so that it is not like you import a product and then label it as produced in your your place. One, in fact, it has not been produced in your place because there is a free movement, there is a protocol relating to goods and services in ECOWAS. It will only work if we are truthful. If we are not truthful, then the entire structure of ECOWAS will, will crumble. I do not know the real details, but I have read the discussions have been ongoing, and I, I, I am sure, uh, as has happened in West Africa, they can solve all their problems. So there, it's not an issue. Nigeria has never been a socialist. In its history, it has never been. This particular instance is really around the issue of corruption and in this particular instance, smuggling that has not only been harmful, especially in the context where, where we are fighting terror. Again, certain elements of that, uh, I think, also play into it. But again, I'm not talking authoritatively, but I'm just telling you what I've read. So do you think that ECOWAS should put its foot down or become more in- involved? Or do you think that this is something that, as you said, the, the bottom line is corruption, that it should be an issue, for instance, that is brought up at the UN General Assembly, the issue of corruption there? No, the issue of corruption has been a General Assembly issue. Uh, it's not a new, a new issue. Uh, anti-corruption is part of uh, the whole question of uh, uh, governance reforms of all countries. Uh, in particular, it has been raised in Nigeria, alongside Africa. Africa has also discussed corruption in the context of also anti-money laundering issues uh, in terms of illicit flows. It's not a Nigerian problem, it is an African problem, and uh, the report around the world, uh, the Mbeki report, is an AU and UN understanding. So, uh, the World Bank has had a lot of studies, so this one is really a problem around the world, especially in relation to instability of nations, where illicit flows are connected with crime with destabilization of states. So these are the issues. It's not 
Nigeria has taken leadership in a particular moment in history as something that is seen to be a serious matter, especially if you want to really remain independent. Anti-corruption is a global fight, and intensely enough, it's not a north-south matter. Every country has been on board relating to this. At a point in history, Nigeria took lead in, in discussions around the continent to the extent that uh, the Nigerian leader was designated champion for anti-corruption for the continent. This is just to, to draw attention, and all countries are doing their bit. For you, as the president of the UN General Assembly, what is your main focus going forward? Well, my main focus is to work to the end of my tenure as president of the Assembly to mobilize action in relation to some of the elements of the 17 goals of the Sustainable Development Goals to be achieved by 2030. The more urgent ones for us, poverty eradication, quality education, inclusion, and climate action. We consider this as urgent. This was the mandate given to me by the Assembly when I was elected. I intend to focus on these ones, to push for action around these issues. Fortunately, these are issues that are already agreed to within the goals and also which countries consider important. So uh, that is the issue. So you're here for the for, for the Peace Summit, and one of the major issues that you just brought up with the uh, Sustainable Development Goals is climate. Now, uh, the climate issues and conflict are a major, major issue, especially on the African continent. Can you just give us uh, your thoughts on, on how those two come together? This week, uh, at this summit, a lot of elements are discussed around the issues of peace globally. And uh, as you know, the United Nations, if it has one overarching ambition, is really to, talk and to work toward peace in Africa, a lot of the conflicts around farmers and herders, for example, which has ravaged communities, is really driven by climate change. The same thing with migration. African leaders are fully aware of this. I mean, it is simply the enormity of the problem. The national efforts, of course, are insufficient, and whatever efforts countries make must also work in synergy with others so that there is movement in the same direction because these are really not national problems. The Ch like Chad region, for example, is not about Nigeria. It's also about Niger Republic. It's about Chad. It's about Cameroon. It's about even Libya. So you can see why joint action, including sharing information, including sharing technology, including other resources, I think is needed.